I spent the better part of the day yesterday in Modesto, which is where I was born and raised. Just a little tidbit that you may not have known about me. But we were there because every first Saturday in August, on Shelley's side of the family, we have a family reunion. So we all get together at one place. People come from the south, the north, the east, and the west. We all get together, all those generations. And it caused me to be kind of reflective because... I got married to Shelley shortly after I came to Christ. I gave my life to Christ in 1972. And it wasn't too long after that we started those reunions. And what a blessing they've been to see family. But it's odd to see generations changing. Some of our matriarchs and patriarchs will probably not be there next first Saturday in August as they were there yesterday. It caused me to just remember all that God has done in my life and where I was at when I received Jesus Christ, where I said, take me, take all of me. I'm a mess. I need you. I was broken, really broken. I think that's why Colossians 2.6 has been such a precious verse to me, as you received him. Well, when I hear those words, as you received him, I think, I know exactly where I was when I received him. I was down and out for the count, and I needed the Lord. But then Paul went on to say, so live in him. And that is really a great truth. As you received him, not in your strength, your merit, your power. Jesus, aren't you lucky to have me? But in your brokenness, in your weakness, in your full recognition of how great is your need and how great is your Savior, that's the place to begin. And that's the place to constantly stay in your Christian walk. In his strength, his grace, he's the Savior. As we gather this morning to remember that, in the bread and the cup. I wanted us to look at Philemon and especially verses 17 and 18 through the eyes of Onesimus. Because I don't know how you received him. I just know how I received him. But Onesimus is one through whom we can vicariously experience, understand, and appreciate how he received him and the difference it made in his life. The theme has been verse 16, uketi. That's the very first word in the Greek language of that verse that it was written in, uketi, no longer no more, no further. No longer a slave. More than a slave. Onesimus was a slave. We've talked about that quite a bit, but we really need to appreciate a couple of things as we, as we come to verse 17 and 18 as Philemon 
so to speak, would. Philemon was a slave. That means he was the son of no one. I don't even know that we have the means to fully comprehend the sense of being forsaken in life when you are the son or the daughter, as your case may be, if you're the son of no one. And in Onesimus' case, he was not only such a slave, but as all slaves, he had no rights. And that becomes quite significant in this letter, because if he had no rights, his only connection would be the master and the household to whom he belonged. And when he ran away, he became something less than a person with no rights, if you can imagine. He became a subhuman slave, a sub-sub-slave, because a fugitive cut in the harshest of ways in the eyes of the familia cut ties with the only family he or she would know. And as property, when they fled, they not only committed a crime, but in his case, as we are led to believe in our reading of Philemon, he had taken some goods, some money or both, from Philemon. And as a fugitive, the punishment was very harsh. Hard labor. They would be given to hard labor. They would often be branded on the face, seared with an F for fugitive. They could be whipped, and that whipping could end in death. But as with all kind of torture, the the tortured have no rights. And Onesimus had no rights. In fact, even this last week, I just happened to be reading in a writing of Seneca, and he said, the law allows anything in dealing with a slave. A master, no matter what might upset him, could beat, hurt, wound his slave. Even a stranger, if a slave did something in public to offend that stranger, that slave could be beaten, injured. The only wrong would be any damage that he would have to the stranger would have to compensate the owner for if the slave were hurt. And so when you think of a slave and you think of punishment, the ultimate punishment and the ultimate sense of being forsaken was the cross and crucifixion, which was a torturous 
death reserved for, for the slave, those with no rights. And yet, the story of Onesimus, as we gather it from Philemon, is that when he had fled, he was, in a sense, in a forsaken condition. He found his way to Paul. Paul showed him to Jesus Christ, and Onesimus gave his life to Christ. Paul speaks of him in the most incredible terms in Philemon. He calls him his child. A son of no one is now claimed he's my child. A, a person without rights, without concerns of society at all, is now said by Paul in Philemon to be his very heart. In fact, he sends him back to Philemon. And in sending him back, he is putting him into Philemon's hands. And he even uses a word that suggests he's in your hands. His fate is in your hands. But Paul says, I want you to know you're holding my heart. <laughs> you hold my heart in your hands. And then, of course, verse 16, so powerful. I mean, uketi, no more, no longer, no further. Don't you think that possibly, you know, Paul wanted to keep Onesimus. He wanted to keep him there with him. He spent time with him. Isn't it reasonable to think that those words came from the very occasion when he said to Onesimus, Onesimus, you're no longer a slave in God's eyes. You're a child of God. Onesimus, you're God's child, just in a sense as you're my child now. You're a whole new creature, a whole new creation in Christ. Everything's different. Everything's changed. But now just imagine, as Onesimus makes his way back to Colossae and on to the homestead, the estate of Philemon. And he stands before Philemon, and Philemon holds the letter from Paul. I don't know if he stood there a long time while Philemon contemplated, or if Philemon asked him to wait alone in, in some secluded space or place. But I can just imagine the kinds of things that would be going through his head. Because even though he has a hope from Paul, Paul has given him great encouragement, a whole new outlook on himself and the world in Christ. That came from Paul as he discipled him, you know, 
in the earliest days and stages of his Christian walk before he returned to Philemon. He probably, before he left, encouraged him to realize that Onesimus, you can have confidence, too, in the man Philemon is and the man he is in the Lord and the fact that you are brothers in Christ. But I want you to know, as Philemon stood there or waited, in his mind and heart, I believe he had to experience fear. Because in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the law, Philemon was a son of no one. He was a slave without rights. And worse, he was a fugitive who had fled his own I want to say familia in the sense that the connection that he had with Philemon and his household, he cut. A a severe insult and injustice to the family. And he was open to punishment from either hard labor, being branded, whipped to death, or crucified. And yet at the same time, Even as he might have said, I'm a slave, I'm no one's son, what hope do I have? I do believe very much that he also had a hope that had been invested in his heart because of the truth that Paul gave him about Jesus Christ and that he knew that he now was in Christ. And that made a huge difference. Perhaps Paul said to Onesimus, I too have been crucified with Christ, Onesimus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Those same words he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 2.20. And maybe Onesimus was saying those very words to himself as he awaited Philemon's response to the letter. What about Philemon? What was going through his mind? No doubt he pondered at length the words of Paul, the very heart of Paul's request in verse 17 and 18, which speaks of this new beginning, new possibilities in Jesus Christ. So, he says, if you consider me your partner, speaking to Philemon by means of the letter, then, he says, Receive him, welcome him, accept him as you would me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge it to me. Paul puts himself in Philemon's place and says, Philemon, I will absorb all the costs of any wrong 
that Onesimus has caused you. Charge it to me. But then he switches things and he says, in the place of Onesimus, receive Onesimus as you would me. Receive him as you would me, an apostle. It's not expressed, but it's understood. Receive him as you would an apostle. Receive him as you would me, your partner, your beloved brother in Christ. This partnership isn't a, a business partnership. It's a spiritual partnership. The word is koinoninos. Like we get our word koinonia. We are partners in Christ. Receive him as you would me, even as he said in verse 16, a beloved brother. Receive him as a beloved brother. What does this remind us of? Well, it reminds us of 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. I've read 16 through 19 before, but it's 20 and 21 I want us to appreciate. So let me read it so you can really grasp what's behind verses 17 and 18. Paul says to the Corinthians, from now on, therefore, and he could well have written this during this very period of his life, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus uketi, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, therefore, verse 20, that means because of this, because that's true, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the same switch that Paul is talking about in verse 17 and 18. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, in our place, in our stead. And we, in Christ, took on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His status became ours. Our debts became his. That's what Paul is saying here in Philemon, accept Onesimus as you would me, 
and I will assume responsibility for any costs, debts, wounds, charge it to me. He comes as I would come to you. Receive him as you would me. I will assume and accept all the charges of his wrongs to you. This goes back to Jesus himself, who in Mark chapter 10, verse 45 said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and then these striking words, to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom was the price that would be paid to redeem, to buy back, to recover someone in captivity or slavery. In the Old Testament, it is used of freeing slaves in Leviticus 19.20 and Leviticus 25.51 and 52. When it says, on behalf of or for many, it's a word that means in the Greek language, instead of, in the place of many. And so at the heart of ransom is the notion of exchange. And in Mark 14, 24, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, took the bread and the cup, he said, this is my blood of the covenant which has been poured out for many. And the connection between blood, which sealed covenant in the Old Testament, and the word covenant, contract, but covenant so much more binding, so much more faithful. Jesus was saying, this is establishing in my death a new covenant, a new relationship with God in which you have a status, an identity, a family connection. You belong to him because of what I am doing for you. That's the heart of the gospel. It's a switch that we don't deserve. And I think we can approach this table this morning if in just some small way we can use the story of Onesimus and the peril, the lack of rights in the eyes of the law and the law, in the in the eyes of the world, he was guilty beyond the pale, forsaken. But for Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, but for Paul, who was exhibiting that same reconciliation that Jesus created between us and, the, and God, our Father. But for that, he would have been forsaken. We see in him the depth again of our plight, our brokenness, when we received him, that we should live in, not in the sense of its weight and guilt and shame, but in the recognition that it is there in our emptiness, our brokenness, our weakness, that we know the fullness of what God has done through grace in Jesus Christ, His power, His grace in our lives. This last week, 
I was so, I've been so moved by this story, this letter of Paul to Philemon, examining it and seeing it through the eyes of first century Roman life. I was thinking, how, how do we go back there? How do we recover? How do we become refreshed in that sense of total dependence upon the Lord and, the, and to rejoice in the liberation of what God has done in Christ. How do we recover that? Maybe this is a way for us. And there are other ways, but I was at a loss to find them. I went into our staff meeting carrying a devotional that I've been reading out. We have a time every Wednesday morning where we spend together in prayer. That's when we pray for you and your prayer requests that you you give us the privilege of praying with you about. And we pray for you and other things. But we spend time in the Word, too. And I've been using a devotional by David Roper called The Burden Shared. And sometimes I read the chapter in advance, but I didn't read it this Wednesday. I opened it. It was marked. It was called Compassion. Compassion. And there was this paragraph, and it just stood out to me. Compassion grows, and he's said other things, but he also says compassion grows out of our own failure and sin. Unjudged sin can harden us and separate us from others. Boy, isn't that the truth? Unjudged sin, unacknowledged sin, and Un, excuse me, unjudged sin can harden us and separate us from others, but sin acknowledged and repented of sensitizes us to others, their frailty, and draws us closer to them. Common sin in, is our common ground. Publicans and sinners become our kind of people. That's the kind of guy Onesimus was. That's the kind of guy I was. That's the kind of person you are. And yet, this morning, we're reminded by this bread and cup, when Jesus says, this bread is my body, which is given for you. And this cup, the new covenant in my blood, this reminds us of the switch that has taken place in Jesus Christ. And it should create a sense of deep appreciation of what God has done for us. If I don't think I was such a bad guy, then I don't think it takes much grace for God to forgive me. It didn't, so to speak, Take Jesus Christ, his precious, precious son, to save me. That's the problem with thinking too highly of ourselves. It diminishes our acknowledgement and understanding of the grace of God. And when we are a people of a little grace, then we are not big-hearted and compassionate when it comes to dealing with others at home, in our neighborhood, at work, at school, in all of our activities. 
If we're a people of a little grace, then we just have a little grace to give. We're not generous. We're not outgoing. We're not caring. And worst of all, we're not really expressing and we aren't ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation because we don't understand that reconciliation in our own lives. But when we look at this bread and this cup and understand who it was who died for us, for you, for me, and the cost that was paid, it helps us to appreciate God's great love, God's great grace. And as we take that bread and that cup, may we rejoice in the forgiveness that we enjoy, the status, no longer a son of no one, but a son, a daughter of God, someone with a new identity and status, a new purpose in life, a new inheritance. That's what we celebrate in the bread and the cup this morning. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you to remember, give us the capacity, the space in our minds and hearts to fathom anew your great love, your great sacrifice in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might be fully liberated in new and fresh ways as we appreciate your great love and grace for us. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. And all of God's people said,